0: all right so i i I love the line in in the song that we sing my soul will rest in your embrace i I mean church that 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 is what we are talking about today because we live in a society that that needs that needs rest uh we live in a society that lives at such a frantic pace and it's all we ever know and we need rest and 1390 um uh, how we view time as humans change forever all right uh, the base 60 format, which means the whole 60-second, 60 60-minute, 60 you know, uh, deal that we use to, to keep time. It's been around since 3000 BC, All right, The Mesopotamians, the Sumerians, those, they're the ones that kind of came up with this old base 60 format, uh, 3000 BC. And then, almost 4,400 years later, the first numerical clock was invented. Uh, And it was built on a church tower in Somerset, England. It's called the Wells Cathedral Clock. Now, clocks have already been around before this particular one came into existence, but they used just a bell system. Uh, they, they, They could keep time, and they could track time, and they could actually do it really well, but it would just do bells first. This is the first clock that actually was mounted on a public building and actually had a face, that you can look at. And so you see, and it doesn't look like our clock back here, right? Um, it, it's got a lot of moving parts here. Um, it's got 24 hour spots, right, So mm-hmm. 12. So you can figure that one out. Um, and then on that kind of inner ring, there's there's 60 little, pegs and, and of course that goes around and then in the very center it it'll, it moves with you know when the sun's up when the moon's out that kind of stuff and there's all kinds of stuff it's very elaborate when, you, when you're When you over when you're over in England next time make sure you swing down to Somerset it's the Wells Cathedral clock uh, it'll, it'll do you some good to, to check that out now with the invention of this clock time now has a face so you see before with all the other clocks that that had been around it was just a sound this right here time now has a face where once humans scheduled their days with the rise of the sun and 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 the rise of the moon now we are more specific well we're meeting at nine o'clock at jack's and on the first nine or the second nine which which nine are we meeting schedules and appointments started to become an everyday occurrence that now have consequences and here's the thing since 1390 this is just with life the pace of life has only become more and more hurried with advancements in technology like the light bulb um, we can now be productive long past the Sun setting People used to have to quit working because the Sun went down but with the invention of the telephone we can now communicate with people from around the world at all hours of the day and mankind has struggled with boundaries in managing our time as Americans we are one of the few cultures that live at a pace unmatched by the rest of the world Uh, our Asian counterparts view time the same way we do but you go to Central America you you work with the Latin community you go to Africa uh, you go to To several parts of of Europe and time is just managed differently. Time is valuable to us because we say that time is money and the more we can cram into a minute, the more that we can cram into an hour, into a day, the more productive we are. And, And the art of efficiency, of being efficient in our country is a billion dollar a year industry. We are always seeking ways to be more efficient with our time so that we can get more done. And the reality is we hurry to finish one task so we can get to another task. I've asked two people this morning before coming to church how they were doing. Both of them had the word busy in their response. How are you doing? It's Sunday morning. It's not even time for church. Busy busy as ever. No one feels the pressure of the pace of life in our culture, in our society. No one feels the pressure than families with kids still living at home. I know we got some retired people, we got some older people that, that, that live by themselves, and, and, and I Perry right here, you know, his kids are out the house and all that kind of stuff, and he's super, he's super uber, uber busy. But, no one feels the pressure the frantic pace of life, like families with kids still living at home, because there's a pressure to enroll our kids in as many activities as we possibly can. Now, we want them to be well-rounded, right? Like, that used to be my thing with Griffin. I wanted to experience new things, and I wanted to be, I just want to be a well-rounded member of society. We want them to try new things, and, I, and I'm not anti-new things, and I'm not anti- extracurricular activities. I promise you I'm not. I'll confess something here in a few minutes. Our intentions when we get our kids into stuff are pure. But we cram our schedules full, and we're doing two different things when we do this. One, we are setting a precedent for our children. A cycle begins and gets passed down from generation to the next. Because we raised our kids this way, we're having them to get involved, to do this, to do that, and be involved here and here and here and here. We've now set a precedent for our children to raise their children the exact same way. And then the second thing that happens when we cram our schedules so full, we have more moments of chaos than we do peace. John Ortberg is a very popular author of many Christian books, and he was a longtime pastor at a church in California. And he was sitting. This was in the '90s. He was sitting with this mentor, Dallas Willard, who's my favorite, favorite author. All right? He's also he was a professor of philosophy before he passed away. And having a conversation, Lord Berg asked Willard, "What do I need to do to become the me I want to be?" I want you to think about that. Think about that question for your life. What do I need to do to become the me? I want to be. Now understand at this point in Ortberg's life he had already authored several books he would already been on the New York Times bestseller list. He was on staff at the largest church in America at the time he was nationally known speaker, he was a leadership guru he was invited to all the mega church conferences and this guy in his prime wants to know and he asked his mentor what do I need to do to become the me I want to be here's what Dallas Willard said to John made. you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life there's nothing else hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life church this advice was given almost 30 years years ago. Long before we had our digital calendars in our hands. I understand people had the Palm Pilots and some things back in the 90s and everything, but they were like, you know, cutting edge and all that kind of stuff. Now we live connected to the world. And this was advice given to a man 30 years ago. We have to think about was this the way of Jesus I mean besides the advancements in technology and the modern comforts of our society today does our pace of life match that of Jesus does your pace of life right now match Jesus's pace of life so that's what we're doing right now right we're focusing on his actions more than we are his teachings. We're looking at how he did the things he did. And, and this is a, a quote that we've had up every single week. If you want to experience the life of Jesus, which I hope you do, you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. So we learn from Jesus by paying attention to how he did what he did. And when you look in his life, i just tell you right now, it seems as though Jesus was never in a hurry. But the cool thing, he was never late. Now, we can't all just up and quit life and start meandering through the countryside preaching and teaching. That's not the reality. However, we can learn some things from Jesus about the pace of life. And there's one story about Jesus that reveals this. So turn in your Bible to John chapter 11. We're going to talk about this in your life groups this week. John chapter 11, starting in verse 1. I'm going to read it. It's a familiar story to most of us, I'm sure. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. And when Jesus heard it, he said, Your brother will rise. again. All right, so you're you, you, you missing some details here, right? Like we don't, we don't have everything. Jesus gets the message that Lazarus is ill. He waits two days. Then he goes to Judea, which is just a short, to Bethany, which is just a short walk. It's not very far. But he'd already been in the grave for two days. He'd already been in the grave a total of four days. So, so there's, there's some details within this text that, that we are missing. But here's the news that Jesus received. When he heard, verse 6 says that when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer. Now, in human perspective, you and I, if someone that we love, we know is ill and on their deathbed, we drop what we're doing and we rush to get to them. We rush to spend time with family. Uh, This past week, I went to Georgia. And a couple weeks ago, I was told that the senior minister at my home church, uh, Tom Plank, um, has had several. He's had, he's had several health issues since retiring, and now he has cancer. And, and my mom and dad are like, "Man, you need, can you call him? Can you call him? Can you call him?" And I'm like, "Well, you know what? I'm coming to Georgia. I'm just gonna go see him." And they're like, "Well, he's not taking visitors." And I'm like, "You know what? I don't care. Well, they're gonna, they gonna just kick me out. I mean, they just, okay, they just wanna let me in, but I'm going to go there." Because this is somebody near and dear to my heart, who's influenced me, and I want to see him one last time, right? So, so that's that's human nature. But Jesus, who could perform the miracle, who could who could go over there and just hey, you know what, Lazarus, come on, you're good, get on up. Who could, who could do the miracle of healing right there? Decides that he's going to wait two days. And when we were doing our soaps earlier this year, this was my observation from John chapter 11. That that, that Jesus stayed two days longer in the place where he was. That that observation eventually led to this sermon series because Jesus was in no hurry to get to his friend Lazarus who was ill. Yet at the same time of this, he he received the message that, hey, he's still alive. And you would think Jesus would hurry to Bethany. Yet he did not rush. He hung out for two days. And the Bible is very clear why. For the glory of God to be revealed. So that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And I wonder. I wonder how much glory of God we have missed because we live our lives at frantic paces how many opportunities have we missed because we work 55 60 hours a week how how have we hindered our relationship with God because we are so busy with so many things and we have to be in so many different places how much of the glory of God have we missed because of the pace of life we choose to live? The cool thing about the giving challenge, and I certainly appreciate this, Margaret, sharing that with us today. every single person that, that did something with the giving challenge said it took time it took prayer and I was the recipient of the blessing as I gave away it took time it took prayer and God's glory was revealed even in the tiniest moment of receiving the blessing Michael Zigarelli from the Charleston Southern University School of Business he conducted A survey, a study on the obstacles to growth for Christians interviewed over 20,000 Christians across the globe. Busyness was the major, was the top major distraction to spiritual life. And listen carefully to this hypothesis as I read it. It may be the case that one, Christians are assimilating to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload, which leads to God becoming more marginalized in Christians' lives, which leads to a deteriorating relationship with God, which leads to Christians becoming even more vulnerable to adopting secular assumptions about how to live, which leads to more conformity to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload, and the cycle begins again. Twenty thousand Christians interviewed, and they said the number one distraction to their spiritual life is busyness. And I quote Corey Ten Boom often: "If the devil can't make you sin, he will make you busy." Because the reality is, both sin and busyness have the same effect. They cut off your connection to God. They cut off your connection to other people. They cut off connection to your own soul. And that is Paul's warning to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 17. He says, Look carefully then how you walk, not, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. The church in Ephesus was in this modern, sophisticated city, right? I mean, it was, it was cutting edge for its day and age. They actually had factored indoor plumbing, not a bad thing, right? Running water, not a bad thing, okay? It, it, but for its time, it was a modern, sophisticated city. Life was different in the city than it was in rural areas for obvious reasons. And Paul's command to the Christians here is pay attention to how you walk or pay attention to how you live. That's what he's saying here. Make sure that you live wisely, making the best use of the time. Why? Because the days are evil. I mean, if the days were evil then, what, what are they now? And so my prayer this week, church, for you has been right here that we will not be foolish. But we will understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, I shared this with a men's group yesterday. I know in a broad sense what the will of the Lord is for your life. It's not because I'm some super prophet. Okay? It's not because God's given me a revelation for your life. It's because I read the Bible. All right? And I know in a very broad sense of what the Lord expects of you I know what I know what most of the will for your life already is you want to know you know it's to take time to invest in other people to make disciples who make disciples like followers of Jesus Christ we're all commanded to be ministers of reconciliation where we are restoring those who live in rebellion to God, to God. We're restoring that relationship. Like, that wasn't just to the church at Corinth, right? Like, that wasn't just to the Christians who heard, Paul, you know, Paul write that and then it being read to the congregation. That wasn't just to them. That is to you and I today because the Word of God is alive and active, and it applies to us. And so we are ministers of reconciliation. Like, you have that. The command that the disciples heard on the mountaintop to go make disciples and make disciples, that command didn't apply to just those within earshot of Jesus before he ascended into heaven. That command applies to our lives to this day. The biggest obstacle I get when it comes to making disciples and people being in a discipling relationship is I am too busy the number one reason. And here's the thing. Love takes time. And the enemy of love is hurry. It's busyness. If I'm going to invest my life into others in the name of Jesus to make disciples, because that is what he's commanded me to do, then I must be available to do it. I've got to be available to do it. I've got to have time in the day to make this a reality. And we talk about this in our DS1 trainings. Discipleship is not something we do. It's who we are. That's that's, that's our identity. I'm a disciple maker of Jesus Christ. And here's the thing. It starts in the home. It, it, It starts. My number one priority is the three other people who share my last name who, who live in the same house that, that's that's number one the priority right it starts with my marriage first and as husband right and then it feeds into children i i i my number one priority is amanda first and then my children and if we are so busy and we're living hectic lives in the name of raising well-rounded children but we're not having serious conversations with our children about their faith and we're teaching them and we're not teaching them to grow in the lord then we're foolish we're what paul wrote don't be foolish and i I, like what are you doing i said i'm taking out my soapbox stuff because i'm getting on a soapbox and she asked me that this morning do you know, I say this all the time well, when, when we go through the life group season our life group structure is set up for us to meet on an average of three times per month three times per month so that you as a family can have the time set aside without any distractions I can keep back all the time from people about our student life group not meeting them every single week and I stand firm on this decision and then until the authority of whoever gets in my face and say, Michael, you must meet every single week, I'm not going to do it because I know that you as a family need undistracted time together. And you, you may not take advantage of it, but I'll tell you this, I will not stand before the Lord one day and say, man, we kept such a busy schedule that we, we kept the families from being able to interact with one another. We, we want to partner with you, we want to come alongside you, and we want to help you. Discipleship starts in the home. Are you taking advantage of the time? That's one thing. But then we are take our investment into others outside the home. I mean, we we start, it, discipleship starts in the home, but but it's not limited there. It's got to go outside of the home. Now I'm not saying we need to be disciples of the Jesus, then we must be best in other people. Because this is where we learn to love. We've Just wrestling with two young men, two little boys who, who have come into, uh, who have crossed paths with me within the last couple of weeks. Neither one of them right now has a man in his life. And I'm figuring out, how do we spend time? One of them was Mac, last, or Mason, last week.
1: The one that I told
0: you a couple weeks ago, I almost went to jail for him. Right? I mean, you saw why last week. He's running around here, man, he's licking donuts. Y'all probably had a donut that he licked. I will confess that right now. Sorry. <laughs> right? I mean, look here, he was, he was wild, he was rambunctious, and he, and he is. And you want to know what? He does not have a man in his life he doesn't and I'm sitting there losing sleep over man how come you I know mean, what do we do how, who, who can be how can I fit this in to my life some some family that I saw I mean you can't hit me at Walmart that's how my attention got brought to him all right playing in the toy section over there And I know that's kind of okay. He's still, to my knowledge, is not. Anything over Jesus, you have some issues. And I know parents, man, you can teach your kid how to hit a baseball. You can teach them how to catch. You can teach them how to hit a softball. In my case, I could teach in perfect form for a basketball, I can do it right now. Can you teach me how to run? Are you good with that? I don't mean just talking about. Teaching them for the same effort to love the Is that we will become so distracted and rushed and preoccupied that we will settle for a mediocre version of it. We will just skim our lives instead of actually living. And we step all in place. It's the cultural pressure around us. It's deep up with the goodness. It's the pressure we face. We've actually we Have to be we, we settled? I didn't ask you to get your community cups earlier. I hope you haven't. If you don't, raise your hand, Caleb, to bring you one. But go ahead and leave them down. I was thinking about this, and I actually changed this response two or three times this week. Um, Remember to open the bread first. How, how do we respond to that? Because that's a lot and, and, and I feel that you know I was a little more preachy preachy and stepping on toes and that kind of stuff and I, it's certainly not my, my goal. My goal is for you to always hear from the Holy Spirit on things. And so I was thinking through there's basically two action steps and they, they, they intertwine, they work together. I, I'm a practical guy. I, I, I like balance. I, I, I like a, a schedule. I, I, I love my calendar. I love that Stella can put something in the calendar and it sinks to mine and I, and I know it and uh, you know we, we joke all the time we used to come back from life group that was our thing to talk about the calendar. When we're coming home from life group talk about the calendar and, and what we got going on the next the next 10 days. So how do we respond? I'm, I'm, I'm currently working through this and we're going to have the conversation as a family. I need to identify my values. Like, like really and truly, like, like, what are the most important things that I need to be doing this week? And I encourage you to pray about it, too, for your life. And, and, and here's what I found. Like, I don't want my values to be my values centered on me. You know, this series, we are essentially focusing on Jesus' values. Being in God's presence was his number one value. We'll talk about that next week. Next week's going to be fun. Being in God's presence was Jesus' number one value. Being in relationship with other people was second. And and, and I'm thinking maybe that should shape my value system too. And and, and so to respond, I I need to identify values for, for me, and I need to write them out. And then we need to have conversations with the people that influence those values. What, what, do we, what do we as a family, what direction as a marriage are we really and truly going to go in? And then we need to build our life around those values. Here at Life on Staff, we talk about the big rocks. You've got to get the big rocks in the bucket first. Those are the things that have to be done first. The sermon prep, the sermon study. The, the, the preparation of all the music that goes up on the screen, those are the things that have to be done first and then we build out from there. So what are your goals? might have to your goals and your aspirations, but this, this is what is important to us. And then the second thing is centered on Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. We read this last week. we will read it again next week too. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and the seed of the right. This is actually where it begins when I've been my values. Am I willing to examine my life through the lens of how Jesus lived his life? Am I willing to do that? Am I willing to be honest that, that these things may be great for our community and they may be opportunities, but are they taking us away from what we hold near and dear? In our obedience to the Lord. And he, the author of Hebrews says, lay aside every weight, dispose of it, get rid of it, get it out of the way. Last week we talked about consumerism. When we talked about the things that, 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 that tie us up, our schedules and our pace of life and our involvement in everything and anything and everything, they're weights that slow us down. So are we willing to lay aside every weight? Anything that hinders us from running the race and the set of force. For us? So those two things. So, here's what I want you to do. I'm going to give you a minute. I want you to wrestle with this on your own. Not just in this minute, but going out the door. I want to give you a minute to take meeting on your own. But as you take communion, are, are you willing to make the commitment of examining it? to see if there's anything that we need to get rid of? As you think about the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross and the non for.